Welcome to Ag Credit Set It, the podcast for farm newbies and seasoned professionals alike. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from across the agriculture industry to bring you insights, advice, and must-have information on all things rural living, from farming to finances and everything in between. So let's get to it. Hey, everyone. This is Matt, and welcome back to another uh, exciting episode of Ag Credit Said It. I am here with Brenna Finnegan today, and uh, we are talking about, uh, you know, a subject that, uh, you know, really covers, I would say, even more than just agriculture, even our surrounding rural communities is farm safety. So let's get right into it. Uh, Brenna, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest for today? We are here with Dee Jepson. She is a professor and extension ag safety and health specialist at The Ohio State University. Thank you, Dee, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me because safety and health is not just my job. It's everybody's job when you get on the farm. It sure is. And it's one of those topics that not many people want to discuss or really do discuss when talking about farming and the things that happen on a farm and all that kind of stuff. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background, like where you're from, how did you become a professor at The Ohio State University? Wow. Okay. Well, I love agriculture. I've been in agriculture all my life. I grew up in Tuscarawas County, for those of you that know that little uh, what is it, eastern side of the, of the state. But I work at Ohio State now, which means I cover all the counties, and I've gotten to learn a lot. Um, not just about fatalities and things that happened in my county where I grew up. Um, I now live in Fairfield County um, with my husband and our, our two daughters, you know, which aren't at home anymore, but I always say as a safety person that I successfully raised healthy and safe kids on the farm because that is a challenge. And um, being a good role model for safety, you know, even when we, we do our best, but sometimes things get by us and we're busy. And so I guess I bring that practical aspect in that I live it and work it every day to know how hard it is for farmers to think about safety. But I always say farmers have birthdays, and so maybe they need a birthday gift that looks like a little safety gift or a health gift. And so every now and then, that's what people get from me. And try to make it fun it's and not engaging. That's a bad idea. It is, no. And, it, you know, it's amazing to think about all the things that have changed. From like Even like when I was a kid growing up on the farm. I mean, we ran all over the place at the farm and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, did forts up in the haymow and, and you know, ran throughout the barns with the cattle and all that kind of stuff. But, like you know, raising my, or seeing my niece and my nephews all raised near and around the farm. Like, we're like, oh, don't get out of our sight. we got to see you where you're at, you know, and make sure that they're not getting into something that they probably shouldn't be. And we think about all the things that we're, we were exposed to and how much it, you know, we well, now know that maybe maybe that's what's wrong with all of us, you know? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but. Brenna, you bring up a really good point because when you're raised on a farm or you bring guests to the farm or have those sleepovers, you know, if you've got young kids or you go to grandma's house, it's really hard to know where that backyard ends and the barnyard begins. So that difference between the home life and the farm life, we, there's no other industry that you, you can do that in except for farming. And so I think that's where some of our problems come is that we just get so comfortable being on the farm that we don't recognize and we're not aware of the dangers. Or maybe we are, but then it's those visitors that come to our farm they don't realize. They just want to go out and pet the animals or they just want to run out and ride on a tractor, which, you know, in any other industry, 
they would not be able to enjoy that. So we have to embrace that for what we do, but we also have to think about how that leads to some of the, the fatalities and the injuries that we experience as, a, as an industry and why we're experiencing so many is because we've spread this into other generations and different populations. What's that? There's that Tim McGraw song that you know, don't mess with the bull. Or, or and I don't remember what the name of the song is, but like a line of it's like, don't mess, don't mess with the bull as you're walking past and all that kind of don't stuff. Don't forget to shut the gate. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it, it definitely does seem, especially in our industry now, we're so much more fast paced, I feel. So, you know, maybe there's not that, uh, you know, the the easy flow on the farm now or everything. It's it's a very precise, um, you know, very precise movement. And it always does seem like we're on a shorter window of time to do stuff. So, you know, maybe we're looking at, you know, maybe we're just such a fast-paced industry now that, uh, you know, maybe some of our safety stuff gets overlooked that maybe it didn't in the past. That's true. Um, we don't always have time. We don't recognize. Like, there's other priorities but then when something does happen, then we step back and say, oh, could we have done this differently? So we need to learn from, you know, maybe what we're doing, um, especially if we have new employees or people that aren't familiar with the farm. It's okay to have that safety review before you start on every season just to update yourself about, hey, we're heading into harvest season. These are the things we should be watching for. Steps to unloading things, you know, like or, putting the guard down. Yeah, and, or, or we're going like to go out and... and clear a tree line around these fence lines. Let's review ch chainsaw safety today. Do we all have our safety glasses on? Would someone like to wear these chaps and be the main person and the rest of us? Are just kind of have that thought process as a reviewer. We watch commercials all the time and they just remind us of things. That's all you have to do with safety a lot of times. So kind of stemming off from that, Dee, uh, tell us kind of a little bit about the Farm Safety Office and the services that uh, they provide. So what we try to do is um, we provide resources that folks can get either online or at their county extension offices, Farm Bureau offices. A lot of our information is not specific to OSU. It's the best practices that we can put together. Um, so on our website and the resources that we could offer would be everything from grain safety to roadway safety to if you're having a safety day or an ag awareness day at your school or in your community, there are some farm safety resources out there for young kids that have like little connect the dots and um, coloring sheets that will just help that age appropriate task that we were talking about with the young kids, because where do you get those resources? They're hard to find. So right. we try to pull them all together. And so really what we're, what we help with, it's not like we're a service, but we're pulling together resources and responding to needs and, and help you with your community safety events. So, talking about the rural safety, obviously, what are some of the facts out there that um, people really don't are, are aware of or anything like that? So, what are some of the facts? Yeah, and that's another thing that's on our website. I know people do, um, oh, like little research papers or FFA students need ideas to present or media needs some statistics here and there. That's part of my bad job, Brenna. That's the part I don't like to do is record how people are injured or even killed doing what they love on the farm. Um, but what we know is that farming doesn't really, you know, dust on the farm don't really have a season. You know, they're, they're year round, but there are times in the spring we see a spike and then also fall harvest um, is another dangerous time. 
And there's an average of 22 people that lose their life every year in Ohio. And when we look at the other statistics and other states surrounding us, um, we have some of the lower um, fatalities in, in our surrounding states. And we're a big industry, as you know, ag is a huge industry. But I think it's um, when we start looking at the, um, where the fatalities happen, which counties and how they're happening, then that guides me and my injury program so we can go out and focus on senior farmers or young farmers. Because in our fatality database, 20%, a little over 20% are all to um, young people less than 20 years of age. So that's surprising. And that's why we work, you know, that's why we want to advocate for farm safety day camps or those ag awareness programs to help teach farm kids or other young workers who want to get involved in farming, you know, how to how to approach an animal or how to use equipment safely. I'm not saying keep them away from it. I'm saying how do we teach that operation? And then on the opposite side of that, the senior farmers, they're also um, almost 30% of our fatalities happen to those after they've retired. So when you look at 50 some percent, and I say some, so it's like 52, 51.6% of our fatalities in, in Ohio are to those workforces that are not even in the general workforce. Oh, wow. Right? They're, they're not your typical age of worker. They're younger or they're older, so they're not counted in other industries. That's where we really need to focus then is on what's going on with the senior farmers and how do we help, you know, do we do coffee talk shops or do we look at their equipment to say, and we know that they're not going to be buying brand new equipment, but if they have a PTO shaft that's not guarded, you know, putting a guard on is, you know, is a lot cheaper maybe than buying a whole new hay system. Um, so what, what are some things that that farmer needs for his birthday or her birthday, right? <laughs> that's a good thought. <laughs> and then when we look at um, what is the most um, like the biggest injury causer out there, well, the tractor, number one. Everybody has a tractor. It doesn't matter what you're farming, you've got tractors. So it's not a surprise that tractors and then machinery that it operates is over 60% of our farm deaths. Um, so when you think, oh, well, we've got ATVs, we've got skid loaders, we've got grain bins, we have livestock. Yes, those have, uh, you know, those can cause deaths on our farms, but tractors and machinery are our number one um, focus area. So it, when I bring up Tuscarawas County, I look over there at that Appalachia group and say, <laughs> when I go over there, I want to talk about, even though you've invited me to talk about livestock safety today, I'm also going to talk about tractors and machinery. And if I go to Paulding County or Dark County, I'm going to talk to you about tractor safety. And they'll say, but this is flatland. And I said, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Tractors still are hooked up to things. You're pulling stuff out, you know, so improper hitching or you could still roll it over over a berm or, you know, to, on the roadway or out on the, um, you know, mowing around banks and ditches and ponds. I always think about mowing our pond ponds. around the edge of the pond. And it like, okay, I'm from northern Ohio, so it's like flat country. Maybe the little ripple every now and then. And every time it would like tilt one way or the other, I'm like, Ugh. like oh my gosh, no. don't! And I always hated mowing around the pond because... That was my big fear of it dumping over. Well, so Brenna, what do you do? So besides knowing how to operate that tractor safely, right? So you need to know the balance and the stability and the point of balance and all of those things. But we have a device that we could put on every tractor and it has a 99.9% .9 
um, effective rate. And that's called a roll bar with a seatbelt. And those two things used in tandem. So how many cab tractors do we have out there and folks do not wear their seatbelt? But yet we know that you wear your seatbelt when you're in a car. At least that's what the law says you do. So if we implemented some of the safety um, features that are on our equipment, we could completely eliminate 59% of my fatalities that I see in the database are caused to tractor rollovers. Why not put on a roll bar? And I want to mention that even if you have an open station tractor, they do make retrofit kits that are available for your make and model. There's very few models that do not have a kit available. And they cost anywhere from $800 to $1,200, and that's from the factory. And what I'm hearing are manufacturers don't put a lot of markup on that, that they'll just sell it to you at that cost. So I would love to advocate um, putting these roll bars and seatbelts on those Appalachia use tractors or the ones in the south or some of our older ones. And if they don't have a roll bar, maybe they need to be retired. Yeah. Oh, did I just say that? Um, <laughs> but maybe some of our equipment can have a different purpose that it's not the one you use every day to mow around that pond yeah. that will choose a different piece of equipment. And I think young people are even buying into that, you know? Yeah. It's, and Well, you think about 800 or $1,200 to spend versus yeah. losing a life or a major injury or anything like that is, yeah. I mean, it's worth every single penny. Oh yeah. It, it doesn't matter what, I mean, it could be probably twice that and it still is worth every penny. You know, uh, you know, looking at another aspect of this D2, and I want to get your opinion on this. You know, one of the big pushes we hear now, especially on our roadways, distracted driving. In agriculture now, a lot of our technology, we have equipment with four or five plus monitors, a ton of automation in the equipment, and also, um, you know, nine times out of ten, we have a cell phone up to our ear or have a headset on. Are you seeing that distracted operating is becoming more of a problem in our industry? Oh, you, you've, um, you've brought up a new and emerging issue right in the last 10 years we never had to think about that distracted before. driving distracted, distracted yeah and as more farmers do get that technology in their cabs and they can just sit back and scroll their instagrams and things while their tractors are on remote um we don't see a lot of of problems with that but you mentioned the word roadway and roadway incidents are are a big concern in the state of ohio um it's not just fatalities, but then it's also property damage um, to our equipment. And so distracted driving, um, for the most part, the farmers on the roads are being, you know, paying attention. It's the folks that don't understand what that little triangle means on the back of all equipment. Um, that's 25 miles per hour. Um, slow down, adjust your speed, not just on our farm equipment, but also then in Amish communities when we have the horse-drawn vehicles. Um, whether they have the SMB or not, our, our, um, our young people that are just learning to drive and our distracted folks that are out in the country for a drive, um, to pay attention for that farm machinery. Dee's very passionate about the uh, slow-moving vehicle signs and how the use of them and all well, that. We had a story the other day. but It was developed at Ohio State University, and now it's one of the most recognized icons right up there next to those Mickey D arches. The SMV emblem is known worldwide, and it was developed at Ohio State University. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So I got a little scenario here for you, Dee. So... Small operation versus large operation. I'm a small operation. 
I am one to two employees versus my neighbor down the road that has 10 plus guys. Farm safety really doesn't apply to me, right? I'm only one guy. <laughs> you're right. You're only one person, but you're the, probably the most important person on that operation. And so it doesn't matter how many you have. Everybody has a good has a job and they're valued for the, the role that they play. And we do know that after a, um, a life-changing, whether it's a life-changing injury or a fatality, um, farmers lose their operation in like three to five years just based on sustainability of that uh, of the farm um, the costs can family members keep it up so you are just as important as the place that can just keep replacing you um, with workers the, the larger guys now the larger guys also could they they may fall under some other you know training requirements um, for their employees some machine guarding issues um, there could even be some compliance issues above and beyond you know, for workplaces, you're right. The family farm is exempt from a lot of those same rules. But I always say, can we learn from what OSHA is saying exactly. about best management practices? And if they say machine guarding causes a lot of injuries, why don't we look at how we can put those um, guards back on our equipment, whether they're PTOs or fan housings or anything that has those moving pulleys and parts and just just kind of maintenance and safety. And I, I look as, you know, I can look at some scenarios. I was in the equipment industry for 11 years and uh, sole proprietor operation, well, I know that safety switch is bad on my tractor. It's been bad for five years. I know it, so I know not to look for it. Yet your neighbor comes over, borrows that tractor. He didn't know about that. You know, a, a $30 switch can, can save a life. It's one of those, I always feel, don't overlook anything because of the price when it, when it deals with safety. So you mentioned you know, some of those farms having, you know, maybe a, a safety class or session. There's a certification program here uh, or within the industry, isn't there? Well, there's several. Um, so when you're talking about certifications, that would be those that qualify maybe an operator. So you don't have to be any age to drive a tractor on the, in the roads in the state of Ohio. Um, you have to have a driver's license to drive a car. Um, but could we train young operators how to do safe equipment operation? So we do have a tractor and machinery operation program that we can offer 14 to 15 year olds that want to go to work in industry and work for hire, not for the family farm. So that's called the tractor certification program. Um, a lot of our ag science programs um, know about it or could offer it and our extension offices are able to offer it. Um, if it's not available in your area, you can get on our website and find out how to help you with that. There's, you know, but I always say it doesn't matter. Like, let's just train everybody. It doesn't have to be a true formal certification class. Correct. Also on our website, we have things that are called, um, uh, there's a farm safety fact sheet series. I call them tailgate trainings. So it's little short, like page, you know, front and back. And then there's like a little quiz, a three-item, really short quiz. You let your farmers, or you talk to your farmers. I use the idea about um, chainsaw safety, or um, you know, there's an electrical safety, there's a tractor operation safety. There's 80 some topics on there. You talk to farmers and your team. You just sit around your tailgate. Maybe if it's a rainy day and you're in the shop, pull them up online, look through them, let the um, let your employees just answer those questions. And then print that off, put it in their file. 
you've just conducted an informal tailgate training, and that can stand up in, in the law that you provided safety trainings, and it didn't hurt, didn't take extra time. And maybe, I never thought about that before. <laughs> well, and you know what? And you've got people on your force. So the next month, then you say, hey, Brenna, it's your turn to offer us a safety class next week or next month and let somebody else teach it. And again, write their names down, who was there, what topics you covered, put that in the file. You've just conducted safety training. Yeah. And it's not anything that's didn't like, cost you anything and it, it wasn't a certification. Five, ten minutes before everybody gets going for the day. Exactly. So, you know, it's starting to warm up a little bit. We're going to be getting in the fields here before long. A lot of equipment's going to be hitting the roads. What are some good roadway safety tips that we can give our operators, everybody in the rural community, what to look for? You know, I'm sure everybody always makes sure all the mud's wiped off the lights before we pull out of a field and everything's working, right? Absolutely. We just <laughs> expect that. Um, but... I think farmers are a lot more aware of that, especially when you live on the fringes of, you know, urban areas that your lights are working properly. And um, if you have flashers on, if you have dual wheels and you're on the road, you need to have um, the, the um, yellow flashing. Uh, the extremity lights. The extremity yeah. lights, that is. That law was, um, was, Ohio was the first to have that law in the whole United States. And it was based on a, a fatality that happened um, when someone was coming, uh, approaching a tractor from the front. So it was oncoming, did not see that extra set of dual wheels over the, over the center line, hit the wheel, hit the, um, the drill that they were pulling, flipped the minivan. And it was a tragic accident and that could have been prevented. But if you were on that jury and you didn't see and you didn't know that that wheel was there and it was a dark, it was at night, you know, you have to feel for the person who lost their lives in, in you know, in yeah. people in, in the van. But then that got us all thinking is can we do better as farmers to mark our equipment? And now you do. You see a lot of lights, um, the extremity lighting. Now we have to also teach the, the motoring public um, to recognize and respect us. So that brings up, do you have escort vehicles? Especially if you're moving at, you know, times where you know it's busy times, or if you have that extra person that can go ahead or stay behind, you know. Um, but it is the law that you have um, whatever piece of equipment that you block the view of with any trailing equipment, it has to be replaced on that last piece of implement. So if you're pulling a gravity wagon, um, that gravity wagon needs to have the same lighting pattern that's on the tractor if it's blocking the brakes um, or the, the lights, uh, and also the SMV emblem. Now, if it's a short piece of equipment and you can still see everything on that tractor, you're not required to put it on. So I'm going to say things, you know, like a blade or even a, a short manure spreader that's low enough that you can still see. But I always say that that little SMV emblem is, is going to save, you know, yourself too. And we know liability drives some of the, the issues. So for liability reasons, please put on what's required. You mentioned an escort vehicle of some sort. And it kind of sounds silly because you think of like an oversized load going down the highway or something in their escort vehicle. What is a piece of farm equipment going yeah. down the road? It is an oversized load, just like any other exactly. piece. Exactly. But, like, it, and moving from, like, one field to the other, 
And I can remember my dad being like, no, just go ahead and go home. I'll be fine or whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm following you because I'm going to block who's ever going to try to pass you, the, the person that doesn't have the patience to wait out what you're doing, you know, that kind of thing. And there's been so many times that I've done that and just waited, especially when they're, like, pulling in and crossing that other side of the road to get into the driveway or to the field or whatever. Turning left. Turning left. <laughs> yes, exactly. And just, I've always, I mean, I've, I've t gone into the center lane and blocked it so nobody could actually go ahead and pass. But I mean, I know somebody in our area that a, a vehicle passed and he made the turn and, you know, and for some reason, it, and I don't think it ended up being his fault or anything, but I do know it was, I mean, they went after him, I'm pretty sure. At least I'm assuming the family did. But, I mean, it's just one of those scenarios that patience is a virtue, and that happens to be one of them. <laughs> so, but shifting gears a little bit, you know, we talk about roadway safety and equipment safety and all that kind of stuff. Um, one thing that kind of gets overlooked, especially a little bit in the fall, green bin safety. And I know your office has been very... Uh, a very big advocate, obviously, since it's the safety office and all, mm -hmm. for green bin safety and how much has gone into it and the equipment that has been distributed throughout the state and that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit about what the office does and what you guys have going on for all that. Yeah, green bin safety. That's been, if you look back 15 years ago, were we talking about green bin safety? Probably no. not. But as industry has driven this problem because and I'm not going to say it's a problem but industry has allowed farms to put their own grain bin structures up right if you think back 20 years ago we, we were hauling to town a lot more yes okay but now we build these bins we can sell when the markets want us to sell and we can hold the grain longer this has created then this hazard that anytime you have stored materials in a confined space, which is what a green bin is, um, then that farmer is holding that risk, not just, you know, their economic, you know, viability. And I always say, if you had a bin full of money and gold coins, wouldn't you want to go in and check it every now and then, make sure it's still good, make sure it's all still in there? <laughs> Got to check for those hot spots. <laughs> so we do know that grain bin entry, and not just in the fall. In the fall, we're filling the bins, so those hazards are yep. more mechanical and you're getting caught up. But through the winter months, now there's a chance for engulfment because that the corn product or the beans, you know, it's a biological um, it's not gravel or sand that we filled this up. So it's going to take on moisture. It's going to have bugs. It's going to, you're going to have to manage that differently. So farmers need to get in there and manage their product. How they manage their product is what we try to advocate. So, you know, safe bin entry. What are those procedures that we recommend that you do? We hired a person. Her name is Lisa, Lisa Pfeiffer. She's wonderful. She travels around the state to talk nothing but grain bin safety. Now she does other things on the side, but this is her this is her job. Um, we have a grain bin simulator that also travels the state. So when it's in your area, we can do um, outreach to school programs, to community programs about how not to become a victim. It has everything from lockout, tagout um, examples on it to grain engulfment 
to machine hazards and auger safety. And so we do a lot of injury prevention to farm communities. Then the other side of that is helping rural fire departments and first responders know when they arrive on the scene, what do they need to do? And so the fire chiefs have, they're able to designate what type of training they feel their volunteer um, units need, as well as, you know, if they're paid, if you're in the city, but you are also could be on mutual aid to respond to an ag incident. So having this grain simulator, we call it the grain cart, C-A-R-T, which is the comprehensive agriculture rescue trailer, but we gave it a name of grain cart. Um, it's a 40 foot flatbed trailer that could roll into your community. The Ohio Fire Academy actually does the training for the fire departments. And so it's, um, it's documented training for them. And then we could do the outreach um, program as well. I looked at the calendar before I knew you might be asking me this question. It is completely booked for this whole year. <laughs> What's going to be my next Over question. the weekends. But we have, you know, we have space that we could fill in um, during the weekdays when we know that, you know, on a random Thursday it could roll into your community and we could have um, a, a little hamburger fry and a little lesson at the same time and, and do training. Um, there is a cost recovery fee to getting that to your community, but for the most part, it can get sponsored, you know, locally or... A few years ago, our county farm bureau um, hosted it, and we invited all the local fire departments and stuff and opened it to farmers to come out. And I think the one thing that I learned, one, it's don't panic. And I know it's kind of hard to, I mean, it's easy to say that than to do it probably, but don't panic when you're in it is one thing. And then two, the things around the farm that could help save. I mean, it's as easy as a milk crate. I never even remotely thought about walking across grain on a milk crate and how much that pressure creates a, like a, pretty much like a concrete force almost for you to stand on. So you're thinking, and so if you don't have milk when you're crate, rescuing. we're rescuing folks or trying to retrieve things that may have fallen into the grain that you need something stable. And if you don't have those snowshoes, like maybe those in upper <laughs> Wisconsin would have, a milk crate or a pallet or something. Now, it does have to fit through that little port and you had to haul that up those yep. that really tall ladder. Um, but you're right. That's the kind of practical um, skills that we teach right down to the farmers, um, or not the farmers, but the first responders then also learn about flowing grain, the dangers of it, um, how to use their rescue tubes, because that is some of the equipment that maybe um, maybe the community rallied together and bought this fire department or a grain rescue tube, but they never had training on it. Yeah. So when the grain cart's in your area, that cart has three different types of rescue tubes on it. There's not just one kind of tube. So your unit could train with other types of tubes or bring your tube over. Um, we know communities like like to buy and you know we'll have pancake dinner or, or breakfast and, or the students have raised money and then the fire departments, they have it. They didn't even know what it was. It's in their back room. They're like, oh, is that what that was? It was so important. So we are learning things, too, as we go out into the communities. Um, there are grant programs that can buy you these tubes as well. Um, we just came off of Grain Bin Safety Week or Grain Awareness Week. And then we also have a big campaign that's coming up in the spring. Um, it's that first week of April. So we'll be doing a lot of social media because now is the time farmers are entering their bins to check on it, to unload it, and then to clean it. Um, 
So the cleaning normally starts when? In the um, late, late spring towards July. So guess what the new hazard is now while you're cleaning the bins? Dust. Grain dust, absolutely. Because we know farmers are in there helping those augers get everything swept out. Um, I have a, a new toy that we built um, that is a grain dust simulator. And we are back in the lab simulating the same kind of grain, whether it's out of condition and moldy versus good clean dust. Um, grain that kicks up a lot of dust. We've added the auger system to it. So I have this little mini 18th of a scale grain bin um, that we're testing. And the measurements that are coming off of not just the farm, we're trying to replicate it then in our lab. Farmers are exposed to very high respirable dust. And the only thing to really protect you from that level of um, contamination is the N95 respirator or an N99 respirator, or a P100 respirator. So the N95s and N99s, we've learned a lot about those during COVID, haven't we? Yes, we Correct. have. And who were they reserved for? They were reserved for essential workers. And so our medical community and our farmers, we worked really hard to, to let people know that farmers are also essential workers. And it was really hard to get a hold of those N95s there for a very short period of time. I think the supply and demand has now leveled out. There's, they're now more available. And so wear those N95s, those one strap masks that look like a dust mask. If there's just a single strap on them, don't even waste your money. They won't protect you against rain dust. Um, and the P100, it looks more like your chemical respirator that it's um, a quarter mask. It's you can wash it and rewear it, but it has cartridges off to usually on both sides of the mask on the left and the right that, that twist on. And so whether you're using them for pesticides or you can buy little HEPA filters, kind of like air fillers, and those then are, P, they're called P100 respirators. You can have them for every person on your farm. They each have their own little respirator that fits them. And then you twist on and twist off those filters. And we found that during the COVID um, problem of the shortage of respirators, the P100s still had the HEPAs available, the filters. Nice. So I've worked for, um, not a seed company, well, I did work for a seed company before, but I also worked for a popcorn company. And uh, one of our requirements within our contract was if you were to store grain on your farm, you agreed to not enter your bin. And the protection, and the, you know, everybody, we got a lot of grief for it at first, but then it like, became, there were a few accidents that had occurred and things like that. And they were like, I get why you guys don't want us to enter the bin. And it was, yeah, we want to help protect you. We provided um, funds towards, you know, the stairs going up. So that, that was more, rather than climbing a ladder and things, so we, we gave so many dollars per foot. And the platforms, we bought those for the guys and, and had them installed on the, their bins at their farms. Um, it was just like a neat program to see with a company offering that out. Like, hey, we'll help assist with the cost of this for your safety because you're providing a product for us. So it was kind of neat to see some of that protection going into play. And I mean, I do remember climbing up into a bin and a, a guy had put field corn over top of his popcorn. Well, we had to, back, it had to get backed out. So there was like things that he had to go through and, you know, that we had to, you know, work with him on and to help get that all out of there before he started hauling it into the facility and such. 
So it's kind of neat to hear, you know, every all that sort of stuff come full circle with, well, within the industry. And industry knows those best management practices. Um, that was brought up here earlier. Um, industry can help and be, you know, that role model for this is how we have to work. This is why we work this way. We use lockout tagout kits. Yep. Farmer would be like, what is that? Well, let, you know, maybe some of our industry folks could even show what is a lockout tagout policy and how they protect their workers. I love that idea, Brenda. Right. That's great. I think at the beginning, the argument was, well, I got to get in there and level it. And it was like, well, then we ended up implementing a coring. Like, you had to core the bin. So it helped level the bin out to help that airflow within it. So that's one of the There's things other that, practices is yes. what you're saying. And so yes. we can be creative. And industry, the grain industry, has had to become very creative since 2010 when OSHA implemented the 1910.272 legislation that all grain elevators have to follow. And the grain industry at first said, these are going to be hard practices for us to do. Well, they're now doing them every single day. And so can we learn from what they're doing in industry and translate some of that down to our home farms? I remember that when that came out because I was at the, that particular place of employment and they were like, well, phew, we're already doing this stuff. So it was kind of like, you know, when, it wasn't like a check off the list. It was more of a reiteration of what's on our list of things to do. So, And we do these things. Why? Because... Uh, we want to sustain the farm. Like we're not making your life hard. We're trying to make your life better. And so when we look at it from that lens, um, the cost and the practices are certainly worth our time. You know, taking that mindset right there, you know, that uh, sustaining the farm, you know, taking care of the operation and the occupants of it. We look at rural stress, mental health, and farm safety for our next generation, our kids. Stress has always been on the farm. It's whether we want to acknowledge it or how we're going to deal with it. But management. Um, it, it's another management plan. It's, it's touching base with the farmers. And, you know, I just did a, a session yesterday. We, um, we received some funding through USDA NIFA to increase what we're offering through farm stress. And when I say increase our offering, not to talk to farmers about stress, we can talk to farmers about stress. Farmers know they have stress. But you know who we also need to be talking to are the people who answer those crisis hotlines, who don't know the stresses of a farmer, or the counselors, or the therapists. And what, what they need to know is that they can't fix all of the issues that farmers deal with. It is humongous. Like there's world trade issues involved. And when you talk to people, they're like, world trade issues? It's like, there's climate issues. Like, I hear my little farmers, town. <laughs> right, the farmers can't fix the weather. They can't fix the prices that they get. They can't do a lot of things. So we're trying to help the community understand some of the stresses because then if a farm person wants to call in, they feel that they're talking to somebody who can give them good advice rather than, lady, you can't help me, or sir, you don't know my problem. And so um, what I like to tell farmers when, you know, they're like, well, I would never call into a therapist. They can't help me. And I said, you know, sometimes you're not calling to get fixed. You're just calling because you're trying to get through a difficult situation. This is not long term. This is something that you just, you know, within two phone calls or two sessions, you've got a different perspective. 
And if it may not be a, you know, an actual therapist or a mental health counselor, it could be a person in your faith group. It could be a person in your inner circle. We get a lot of comfort just talking to other people. So it doesn't matter what their certifications are. Just feel free that you can share that. But I also call that the farm stress paradox, okay? Why would a farmer, farm lady, farm gal, it doesn't matter what our genders are, right? Why would a person who goes into farming want to admit that it's hard work, it's long work, I'm not getting enough pay for what I'm producing, I don't know the sustainability of my farm or if my kids are going to take it over. So why admit that to somebody? We knew this was going to be a hard life going into it. So the minute that I ex tell somebody that these are my weaknesses, then they're going to give me solutions or maybe try to talk me out or find a different career path for me. So to me, this is the farm stress paradox. Farmers don't want to talk about the, what they've already signed up to do. So we need to have some resources available to keep them farming and to keep them on the farm, just whether those are financial resources or programs that you can get enrolled in to talking to lenders who understand now. That's, so that's why I really appreciate this segment here. You're a lender and, you know, we want to keep the farmers um, as an economic viability in their community because, again, ag's a big business. And so we need them all. We can go back and give a quick plug for a previous podcast episode that we did, actually two, where we did mental health um, and discussed that in its entirety. So yes, it is as simple as having one or two conversations, just saying how you're, sometimes just talking to somebody and just letting it out of the system, just, it makes it Well, and, and when you kind of look at, when you look at it in some terms, you know, fixing something, you don't hesitate to call the dealer when your tractor's broke. Why would you hesitate to call when something on you is not well, right. How did Nathan put it? What's the number one asset on your farm? It's yourself. It's yourself. You never give yourself the value that you deserve. And when you remove yourself from it, the entire thing goes away. I want to also bring light to what's on our website for mental health resources, because sometimes farm, farmers don't want to go into their own county. So they, you could drive into any county to receive help. So if you're a little apprehensive of walking into your own community. Somebody won't know you and you don't have that pressure of, I'll see him at the coffee shop later. Exactly. You want somebody seeing your truck at that particular parking Exactly. Yep. So on our Farm Stress um, website, um, you can access that also. Um, just pull up our um, go.osu.edu Farm Stress or just Google Ohio State University Farm Stress. Um, we have that resource listed for every county in the state with their phone number so that you can call a different county if you want to or if you just don't even know who to call to find those resources. And we will have uh, links for all this in our transcript on our webpage after the podcast. So going on to the next uh, step, you know, talking about our, our next generation, our youngsters. Farm safety for kids. How should we be teaching this next generation on the hazards of the farm, what to look for, and train them right for when they get big enough to start, uh, you know, operating with us. Well, it does start at a young age, and so teaching a lot of um, farm families, their parents, they feel like their kids are great. You know, it's just the ones that we have to, it's the neighbor kids that, that don't always know it. So what are we teaching our own children? We're teaching them, you know, to look both ways when they cross the street, to 
to wear a seatbelt when they're in a tractor, just like they would wear a seatbelt when they're in the car, um, to wear that helmet on their ATV, just like they would on their horse. And so we are, I think this generation um, and these young students are brought up with a better safety mentality and mindset because if you're fortunate enough to, to be able to afford that brand new four-wheeler for the, those kids, buying that helmet and forcing that just brings along that safety culture. And then we have to role model that as parents. And if we have farm rules, and it's not policy, but you know, you have these guidelines, just like we have, you know, you have to, you know, clean up your dishes, make your bed. You also have to be safe when you're on the farm or you have to practice safety when you're out there. Shut Teaching. The Shut off the water. <laughs> well, right. Those little <laughs> things to help the farm management, but then also the reasons why. Yeah. And so a lot of our farm safety programs don't focus on the don't, don't, don'ts. It's this is hap this will happen when. So if you do make a mistake, it's serious on a farm. It's not just like, um, you know, oh, you're going to have a small boo-boo. You're going to have a big boo-boo. <laughs> and, and I think farm kids realize that. Um, and they are so close to Mother Nature and they see the harshness of what, a, you know, weather does or right. what livestock can do for an injury. And so they can grasp bigger concepts. So just keep teaching those same concepts. And, and it's that big teaching effect. I'm a farmer. I have three uh, young children at home. I need to teach the best practices myself. If I'm not putting my seatbelt on, if I'm not doing a lockout, tag out, if I'm not following the procedures, little kids, they're always watching every move dad makes. <laughs> if I'm not doing it, they're saying, well, if dad doesn't do it, I shouldn't have to do it, right? I don't know what that step is. Exactly. Or, it or it's a rite of passage. When I get old enough, I don't have to do right. this. Right. Yeah. So, yes. So, shifting gears here just a little bit, you work with an agribility type program. Tell us about that and what it is. Yeah. So, agribility, it's spelled A G R and then ability, A B I L T Y. Agribility. It is a program. Um, that will help farmers stay farming after a disability has occurred. Now, whether it's a physical disability, like you were in a car crash, or you have a, a knee replacement or a new hip and you can't you know, physically get in and out of your equipment, or you have some chronic long-term health conditions. I'm gonna throw arthritis in there um, <laughs> because we all have aches and pains, right? So agribility, it can help with big, you know, with amputations, loss of sight, some of the larger disabilities, but it can also help with some of just the day-to-day -day disabilities and the aging that we are incurring. Our farmers are getting older, you know, in the average age, every, yes. average age keeps going up. So this program, again, is on our website. It, it provides, if you need someone to come to your farm and give you a farm assessment of what are you trying to do, what pieces of equipment do you need in and out of, um, what type of new machinery could you use? Could we retrofit a UTV that could be a better work vehicle for you to go out and check your cattle or your herd or your fence lines? Um, the program is farm friendly. In other words, it's going to meet you where you are. And if you would like then to extend that to seeking help, there is a state agency in Ohio that will help for other occupations and keep people involved in their vocational rehabilitation process. Well, our program then is that liaison to that agency. 
And so there are some opportunities then for farmers to, to submit to that agency to get um, financial help and financial and um, modifications made to their farm. But not every farmer takes it to that level. Um, farming with um, a pacemaker is one of our fact sheets that we talk about. If you now have a pacemaker, there are certain chores that you should not do on the farm. And so we publish all of this information and it's on our, our website as well. Um, I thought about that. It's when farmers and farm families incur those big moments of their life and they think that now they can't farm anymore. This program says, we're gonna do our best to keep you farming, um, keep you safe also farming. So an example, okay. Years ago, my dad got hit by a car at an accident scene for the fire department. A car came through and hit him and his foot had been, well, it had been pretty much kind of ripped off from his leg and then put back on. And he has it now fused, his ankle is now fused, and he can't flex that ankle to do some of the foot pedal controls, like on, say, our skid steer. So if I had somebody come out to look at our skid steer so that my dad could use our foot pedal. What we might say, Brenna, is let's change that foot pedal to a hand control. And we have these little, I call them recipe cards, um, we go to this huge um, database of equipment that has been modified. We say, what is your make? What is your model? We plug it in. We say, oh, we could change this left-hand control to a right-hand control. So we could change the pedal to the left to the right side, or we can make it hand controls. Um, we can do this with a lot of different equipment. The great thing about AgriBility is that it's a national program. So maybe we could learn something what happened in Nebraska with a grower who has a certain piece of equipment and now all of a sudden we're like, hey, we could reach out to that person. So it's a really nice, um, it's a people serving program. Um, and it doesn't cost the farmer anything to give us a call. It doesn't cost the farmer anything to get involved in the program. There's a no cost. Um, we don't fund a lot of the technologies that we recommend. We just say, this is what could be available to you. So then that farmer makes the decision of whether they want to increase the lighting in their shop. You know, we know now LEDs are so much better and brighter that we don't have to work with these dim lidded areas. Well, let's transfer that to our feeding rooms and let's transfer this into some of our other areas that we work. So instead of the farm retrofitting process that you used to do by yourself, <laughs> you're changing something to make it work for yourself, having somebody help you go through it and have it done properly so that everything, there isn't another injury that occurs or something right. like that, correct? Correct. Oh, and um, the great thing about this program is that um, occupational therapists are really interested too. So it's not just a safety people that are looking at how do we make things safer. We're looking at the body mechanics. Um, we know farmers wear and tear. So we have um, project, um, little programs on our website for safe lifting and proper lifting. You young people out there, you talk about those young kids. Let's teach them how to lift she properly. Still considers us young. You, you lift with the arms, right? <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's all, right. all you use, right? <laughs> well, you were bringing up what do we train our young kids? Let's teach them how to lift properly and not twist around and lift yep. with the legs. And when we're carrying feed sacks. And, you know, when I go to pick up feed at the store, okay, when I'm sent into town, Brenna, you're, you're telling on yourself, I'll give a story about myself. Um, when, when we'd call and order feed, they'd say, who's picking it up? Because they know if Dee's picking it up, they better be in 25-pound bags. <laughs> I need to tell my guy. <laughs> and they don't have to be in 50-pound to 100-pound bags. 
And so the feed store now recognizes that we don't have to lift all of that. They make more bags, you know, and you can <laughs> and you can fill them. And that doesn't mean you're weak. That just means you want to be able to have energy to go home and unload it and do something else that day. It's really funny you brought up that because just like two weeks ago, I was at my I was at my chiropractor's office and I was like, oh, when I get done, I got to go unload a thousand pounds worth of bags of feed and they're 60 every bit of 60 pound bags of and feed. i'm sure you said well i'll see you next week right yes exactly <laughs> it's like job security right there for them but exactly like i mean and, I, and every time i unload it i think well, I, sh- I should say something i should say something and i don't i never do but they don't care and they will they'll grumble but they'll fill it up and i used to tell them i'm like who's paying this bill if i'm picking up now all of a sudden if my husband calls in to order the bags it's always D's picking D's it up. D's picking it up. <laughs> so I'm like, uh-huh. So it's okay. Blame it on the farm wife. And it's okay. Well, then when I get home, i got to go down the steps into the bank barn. And I, oh, how did we, we, we retrofitted those from the farm, so we probably should have that checked exactly. out too. So. <laughs> and so, and then also getting back to those OTs, I mean, have occupational therapists give us some ideas for farm life and ergonomics. Um, one of the, uh, we had a graduate student, I'll give her a shout out, Brittany Cowgill. Um, she helped us write a publication called Farming from a Wheelchair. And when you start to look at that kind of, what, what's the best wheelchair to put out on the farm if all of a sudden, you know, the, the farmer or farm family member needs to also be on the farm and has a chair. Well, regular rehabilitation counselors don't always understand what kind of terrain a farmer might be on or how they need to traverse and so um, I give a shout out to our um, to our state agency it's called opportunities for Ohioans with disabilities and they have worked long and hard with us in agribility to recognize some of this their counselors are really good they're in all the they're in every county track chairs are popular on the farm oh yeah and standing wheelchairs okay our state allows that to be an assistive technology device for that farmer and other states are asking us how how did you get a wheelchair that stands up like so the 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 lift the seat comes up out of its frame and then the farmer is strapped in and standing there whether it's a track chair or a wheelchair but to get that standing um that height is good for several reasons right blood flow and circulation um, now the farmers can actually reach to change their oil to do some of their maintenance work at their shop bench and you know what else they can look you in the eye and they can talk to you one-on-one and now we're getting back to that public that mental health exactly. and how you feel as a farmer that just because you have a disability does not take anything away from you as the farmer or what you contribute and so this is one of the advocacy programs that our Agribility Project has. We want every farmer to stay farming as long as they want the to stay farming. The job's not over yet. Yes. That is very exciting stuff. Well, Dee, uh, we want to thank you uh, for being part of this with us. Uh, you know, ton of good information. We will post uh, links to everything uh, for you guys um, on our website. And uh, we just want to thank you again. And this is Matt. Uh, here with Brenna, and we're going to sign off now, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Ag Credit Set It. Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Set It. Want to talk ag in between episodes? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. 
For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net. And be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Catch you next time. Thank you.